G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And for our next guest, the coming Victorian state election is about one thing, protecting families from the threat of radical political correctness. The resurrected Family First Party is standing candidates across the state of Victoria. Their aim is to hold the balance of power in the Victorian Legislative Council. They say they'll fight against the radical anti-family attitudes and policies of modern politics. Our special guest today is the lead candidate for the revived Family First. He says he's compelled to stand against the tide of radical ideologies. Lee Jones is the Family First Party candidate for the Southeastern Metropolitan Region in the Legislative Council. He's also a corporate executive who went through his own Andrew Thorburn-style ordeal some years ago. Lee Jones, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. Lee, let's talk about Victorian voters for a moment here before we get into any of the sorts of policies that Family First is presenting. A lot of Victorians, they are lying low, keeping their heads down. Uh, what's what's uh, giving you the courage to stand in a time when so many are remaining quiet? Uh, thanks, Neil. That's a great question. I've got my own experience, really, of, of what it's like to be in the firing line of radical political correctness. Uh, so as you mentioned in your intro, which was very kind, uh, I did experience six years ago of being terminated from a job that I loved doing and was doing well uh, because of my Christian faith. So I guess you can say I, I understand the cost of not being aware of what's coming. Uh, and the, uh, the the changes that are going on in society, uh, which which mean that the people who who are trying to cancel us, if you like, or, or bring in these radical policies, uh, they they think that they are in essence on the side of righteousness. Uh, and having experienced that and seen the sort of the cultural changes that are, that are going on, it, it does two things. It makes you realise that the um, that, uh, so prophetic scriptures that talk about good being seen as evil and evil being seen as good, these days are beginning to creep upon us here in Victoria. So if we don't stand against them now, uh, it will get a lot worse for people of faith, uh, people of many faiths, I fear, uh, but, but also the harm that is a consequence that comes from those kind of policies will multiply across the most vulnerable in our society. So the thing that, that really compelled me is that Harm is being done here and now, and we, we have to do, I believe, Christians, everything we can uh, to stand against it. So, so in, in be... a sense, <laughs> so, so, sorry, I was going to say, I, yeah. I, so I have been bitten, I understand the, the, the pain, but realise that if we fail to stand, it will only get worse. And at some point, we, you'll, you'll have to make a decision, will I incur the pain, or, or will I just resolve from my faith uh, and let it go? 
Some will say in Victoria the horse has already bolted and uh, so I'm glad to be just taking this little focus on what's driving you, uh, not just because you're tapped on the shoulder and said, uh, you know, let's have you as a candidate, but when you say you were terminated from your job, and I think uh, six or seven years ago, uh, because of your faith, can you give us a little uh, extra detail about how that all happened? Uh, unfortunately, I can't say a great deal on that, Neil, because I am banned by uh, a deed of arrangement that, that, that arose from that circumstance. Uh, but broadly speaking, uh, my, uh, my my faith was offensive to others, uh, and on that basis, um, uh, yeah, I was I was terminated. Right. Uh, so well, I, I'm able to go into detail for, for, for legal reasons, but um, yeah, uh, that, that was very challenging. Um, uh, and I've got to say, um, yeah, uh, just <laughs> deeply disappointing, uh, given how well that was going and um, how much I loved doing the job and, and the team. And uh, when you're climbing a corporate ladder or you're a part of middle management or executive level leadership in organisations and small business and big business, uh, when you hold a Christian faith, these days you're more likely to come into some level of conflict with where the values of organisations are because uh, so many have uh, inclusion and diversity policies right now that any Christian in any organisation or any government department or any sort of uh, representative or leadership level uh, all of a sudden feels a little more vulnerable. Uh, You're obviously very attuned to the way people are feeling right now. Yes, it's interesting that when you go through public experience like I did, uh, at first there is a tendency to, to feel a bit lonely and isolated around that. But once you start, um, or once you become known, it's amazing how many stories come out of people who are being sort of uh, passively, aggressively bullied, people who are feeling uh, that they are constrained to go through material in the workplace that they uh, they don't agree with. Uh, the obligation and expectation to take part in corporately arranged events uh, which celebrate values that that don't align with your faith, Uh, these do put you under significant pressure. Uh, And for those who are uh, um, not hiding their faith in the workplace, um, we're seeing increasing hostility. Uh, And so that that is coming in the form of, um, as I say, passive aggressivity, uh, outright bullying in some cases, we're seeing increasing numbers of people who feel they can't continue in their jobs because of uh, of those situations. Uh, so it's 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 increasing in prevalence, uh, and there is a there's a flavour to this state which is becoming extremely dark for people of good faith. And so one of your policies is to outlaw the opportunity that businesses or government might have people who lead departments. Uh, to, in fact, sack someone because of their religious uh, affiliation. That's correct. I mean, technically, it, it is actually currently illegal um, to either coerce someone into resignation or to terminate them uh, because of their religion. It does uh, it does sit contrary to current discrimination law, um, which provided me with some uh, protection uh, in my circumstances. So it's interesting when you look at, say, the Andrew Thorburn affair, he was really coerced uh, from the premier down uh, into resignation. Um, he, he is, in theory, protected by the law. And we've seen, of course, he's, uh, 
it has um, retained some lawyers and, and is exploring his options. And I don't know any details about that, but um, uh, that's probably a sensible thing to do. Uh, so technically, it's uh, it, it is illegal. But as you can see, if the premier of the state believes that he can uh, clearly and explicitly coerce someone into uh, uh, into resignation, uh, in in contrast to law, then you can see the depth of the cultural problem we have in this state. Okay, and uh, we'll talk some more, perhaps about the fact that laws not being enforced, and I'm talking about uh, drug laws in the state of Victoria not being enforced, and uh, I know it's one of your policies too, to make sure that laws that are already in effect are being enforced by uh, those law enforcement authorities. Hey, let's talk about the revival of Family First. Uh, You know, it went through a rough trot uh, in the last decades, and there is a revival of Family First now. A couple of uh, former Labor MPs out of South Australia. Uh, Family First has grown significantly, and uh, now to the point where you're uh, offering yourselves uh, for election in the state of Victoria. How's your experience been with the revived Family First party? Well, I do have some history with Family First personally. Um, so I. Uh worked on the federal campaign back in 2016, uh, where we came within one spot uh, of getting our candidate, Peter Bain, elected. Uh, he was just picked up the post by uh, Jane Hume, the Liberal, uh, by literally a smattering of votes. Um, so that was exciting. Uh, and what was interesting then is, is the willingness of people to, uh, to engage uh, in, in volunteer roles, the passion for the brand. It was obviously a strong thing. Uh, one of the other interesting observations I had from that time is that, that there were a lot of sort of minor uh, parties in the centre-centre-right who were competing in a similar space. Uh, and immediately after the election, we began conversations with those organisations about so, some effort to try and draw us together in a more uh, co- cohesive body. Uh, and so we saw that um, the emergence of uh, Cory Bernardi's Australian Conservatives uh, and Family First and Australian Christians in most jurisdictions and some of these other minor parties were quite willing to, to roll into that as an articulation of, uh, of shared values, uh, a shared uh, cultural con- conservatism uh, and, um, uh, and uh, economic uh, conservatism. Uh, so we, we rolled into that and then uh, actually worked on the campaign uh, with a, a colleague of mine um, on the 2019 federal election as well. Um, so, in essence, uh, I've worked twice with Family First uh, as its own brand, but then as, as an integrated conservative brand. Now, unfortunately, uh, as we all know, um, Corey Bernardi decided not to proceed with the Australian Conservatives experiment. It was a, you know, it was a, a real outlet of grief at that time because, again, the, the, the passion that had come from people who wanted to work uh, tirelessly uh, for, for the cause the quality of the infrastructure we built up was quite incredible. The quality of the um, that the technical capability we built up, and while the electoral results weren't weren't great, it was you know the, the very first time that that brand had gone to market, uh, and one had to be circumspect about the expectations that would come from that. Um, however, history is history. Uh, but what we're finding now, as we look to reestablish Family First, is the the brand recognition we carry is still very very strong. There's a great fondness for for, for the brand. Uh, so it's not been quite as hard as one might expect uh, to begin to uh, run up some good um, uh, volunteering infrastructure and to, to, to be able to fill the field 
with a full set of candidates. And we're, we're one of only four parties across the state that has a candidate in every single electorate uh, in this coming state election. Yeah. Well, the revival of Family First means that Family First is back. And as you reflect the Australian Conservatives, uh, that sense of grief that happened when the experiment, as you say, was closed down and uh, the feeling of betrayal, but now the revival of Family First, people coming back to the brand that they knew and loved and had those uh, those foundations there that Christians could say, this is good policy. Uh, let's talk about this uh, your Christian faith for a few moments uh, because you are someone who holds a strong level of Christian faith uh, take us back to uh, to your story, your journey so far. How do how do things look for your uh, your faith in God? Uh, it, it's it's fascinating. I grew up in an unchurched uh, uh, setting. Uh, had a radical conversion when I was eighteen, going on nineteen, uh, where I, I um, uh, felt God speaking to me about my need for a relationship with, with Him, which is interesting when you don't know theology and and of course Christianity is all about a relationship. With the living God, so um, uh, and I've, I've walked that journey ever since. Um, the 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 most interesting thing I think is the last six years. So since my particular experience that I've already described to yourself and your listeners, uh, I have grappled with the the question of how does a Christian respond uh, in in the in the, the politics of the thing to what's going on in our current world, uh, and that there is a great risk I think for people of faith that. If you if you uh, go full on into the politics of it and, and really deep without having a sound sort of discipleship basis, you can readily and easily get lost in the rhetoric and the, and the emotion uh, and, and in some cases the extremity of, of the politics of it. So for me, what's been really interesting is um, shortly after my experience, I, I ended up at a, um, a very, very good church, which has an extremely strong focus on discipleship. Uh, and uh, in that church... Uh, there was a lot of discussion about what's going on in the culture. But the emphasis was, uh, we are disciples first and foremost. And if you have that in strength, uh, the root of who you are, that then enables you to engage in, in other areas into which the Lord has called you. And for me, for a long time, that was obviously uh, the continuation of my uh, leadership experience in various businesses. Um, but... Uh, as I've sort of mellowed, uh, marinated in that for the last six years, and as I have been involved in, in uh, various political campaigns over that period as well, uh, I've, I realised sort of when I had that aha moment about the fact I was going to be standing for family first, that God has been very much training me to um, uh, to have a disciplined discipleship first mindset, uh, and that comes first, and that is the foundation upon which a political response is is launched. Well, so it means that um, that the motivations I carry for coming into this are very much about uh, the, the fact that this feels like a calling on my life for this this time, for, for such a time as this, uh, and therefore I'm walking on safe ground. If I didn't feel I was walking uh, according to, to what he requires of me at this time, I think I'll be stepping on very, very dangerous territory. Well, so it's not to say that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics unless they have a, a, a compelling call. We all need to understand what's going on in politics. Uh, and we, we need to, to, to understand with great clarity. We need to use the privilege and the power of our vote to respond to that. Um, but for me personally, if I could only walk into the, the, the practice of politics from the, the basis of a strong 
discipleship walk. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. It's good to have you with us on this Monday edition of 2020 and I want to open our talkback lines. You might like to join in our conversation today. You might have a question for our special guest. Uh, You might have your own critique even for what is happening uh, so far as politics in Victoria and around the Family First Party. Lee Jones is our guest. He's the Family First Party candidate for the Southeastern Metropolitan Region in the Legislative Council. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. Lee, I want to ask you about policies. Sometimes for some people this is like, uh, oh, here we go, uh, a whole lot of uh, political stuff. Stuff. As I've gone through the policies as listed on your Family First Party website, uh, you could do a quick fire uh, set of uh, understanding here for listeners. If we're starting with policies, what ones are the most prior? Uh, which ones have the highest priority for you? Um, thanks, Neil. Great question. Um, there are three uh, key areas that we want to uh, work on in policy. One is the protection of children in schools from radical gender theory that's being taught. So from kindergarten, uh, kids are being taught here that uh, they can choose their gender, which is leading to, uh, we believe, high levels of gender confusion amongst kids. And you see that in the, the numbers being referred uh, to, uh, to organisations that, that work with children with gender confusion. We also want to end the ability of schools uh, to effectively uh, uh, transition your children uh, into a different gender without parental consent or even in some cases knowledge. Uh, so there is in Victoria this, this principle of, of what's called mature minor uh, where a school can make a determination that a, a minor, a school child, is sufficiently aware of what they're doing to, to make their own medical determinations and they may choose to withhold that information from their parents. And through a program called Doctors in Schools, uh, kids can then be uh, referred uh, to to doctors for all sorts of treatments, including gender treatments. Now, we feel that that, that that the dividing of kids from their their parents by the state uh, is is iniquitous. We think it's just wrong. It's very, very dangerous. So on the one hand, you've got kids being told that, um, hey, you can pick your gender, creating confusion. Uh, and then we're, we're at risk of, of kids then going on these uh, gender transition journeys only to realise much later on that it was a mistake when it's already too late. So very much about protecting kids from, from gender theory and from some of the, the practices of schools. So if we're getting a quick fire on these policies, uh, hit us with those policies that you have around women. Um, uh, I just want to hit on the other two really, really important ones that are sort of top, top of line for us, if I may, Neil. Um, because the other thing, of course, is, is um, uh, dealing with, with life issues. Uh, abortion to birth is, is a, a key concern for us. Uh, and we're not even safe, unfortunately, with the Liberals on this one because they introduced abortion to birth in South Australia. So we want to roll back abortion provisions uh, uh, to, um, uh, to reduce the prevalence of late-term abortions, um, to increase the choices and support for women who choose uh, to continue with their pregnancy, and freedom of speech and religion are really, really top of, uh, of, of the line for us here as well. Um, as your previous uh, speaker, Dan Flynn, mentioned, uh, there are threats to Christian schools. Uh, the, the, the 
the, the progressive politicians here in Victoria want to be able to remove from schools and other religious organisations the ability to appoint staff uh, that, that uh, agree with their ethos. Uh, so we need to be able to protect those schools. Otherwise, a whole, um, a whole range of organisations are going to be re- required to hire people that, that don't necessarily agree with why they exist. And, of course, that will undermine the very fabric of why they're there and freedom of speech. Lee, we'll get through uh, some of these. I mean, you've got uh, policies around women, drugs, families, uh, economic freedom for families, education, poverty and justice, uh, faith issues there, and of course, as you mentioned, uh, critical those pro-life issues that you'll be campaigning on. These are the bread and butter. These are the essentials for Family First. We'll come back to some of those, but let's take some calls as we can. Bill is on the line from Victoria. Bill, welcome along. Oh, hello there. Really enjoying your program. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you very much for your insight. Just, just a, a couple of things that uh, just wanting your comments on. Um, uh, in, in Mark uh, three thirty-three to thirty-five, we're seeing that um, Jesus is extending the uh, the concept of family. He says um, things like, when his mother and brothers and that are there. Uh, wanting to talk to him, he says, well, who is my brother, who is my father, who is my mother? And he says, those who, um, who, 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 I'm I'm not not saying exactly, I can't say exactly what it is, but he says, those who are doing God's will, who who are following God's ways, are are my brothers and sisters and are my mother and and father, that sort of, so he seems to be broadening the concept of family. In terms of the, the the situation that we're living in the 21st century, we're finding that, uh, Families are disintegrating. We're finding that there's dysfunctional families, all sorts of things. Within within Jesus' concept, he, he he was amongst the people who were alienated, the orphans, the widows, the handicapped, the disabled, the um, the emotionally people with emotional problems. These were the people that were gathering around him that he saw as a, as community that he's drawing broken people together into a. a, a sort of a, a, a type of a family. I'm just wondering, look, uh, and, and just another issue, apparently from what I understand, 4% of children who are born are born with gender confusion issues. What's happening now is there's a lot of steroids. There's, there's a, a gentleman in, in America who was eating a lot of Kentucky Fried Chicken and stuff, and the steroids that were going into his body were causing him to grow breasts. I'm just wondering, there's a lot of... Bill, there's a lot of uh, interesting ways that you're presenting things here. And uh, even as you're talking about Jesus uh, broadening the concept of family, you could also argue from that same scripture, he is actually intensifying the concept of family, mother, brother, father. And uh, I think you're throwing a little bit of a red herring in there talking about KFC uh, making men men grow breasts. Uh, But let's uh, get a thought here from Lee. Lee, you've got all sorts of people with all sorts of ideas. Uh, You've got to speak clearly into these circumstances quite clearly. Um, Yeah, well, thanks, Bill, for the the contribution. And yes, uh, what I liked about Bill's comment Drawing attention to people who are much more marginalised, the, the the widow, the often the childless, um, the, the disabled, and so on. In our society, we seem to to have this desire to separate people into these characteristics and find ways of dealing with them. I think one of the, one of the things that really motivates me. I spent some time working in aged care, for example, uh, and uh, in in this country, we seem to want to. Uh, gather up our aged care people, put them in homes, expect the government to pay for it all, 
and, and let's not leave them there. I think we should place a much, much higher premium on, on the, the wonder and value that our older Australians can bring back into the community. And part of our thinking, uh, which is not yet expressed under the policy section of our website, is that we want to reinforce community. We want to be able to bring old and young closer together again. I still have very fond memories of, from my teenage years of sitting with my grandmother, uh, who would tell me stories of, of um, her childhood and brushing her teeth with sudden salt and eating bread and lard and, you know, and the Germans bombing the railway yards in York. I mean, I, I found these things fascinating but also insightful uh, in terms of how, how society's progressed and changed. So bringing people into community uh, and not putting... Uh, p- people in, in disabilities into into institutions where they're, where they're cared for, bring people into society uh, and engage with them. And, and here's a really interesting little nugget that I picked up recently. About something like 30% of people who, who present to emergency departments at our hospitals are basically people who are isolated and lonely and really just need someone to talk to. Wouldn't it be great if we could uh, do much more to bring people into community together uh, so that they, when they have an issue or a crisis, that um, well, well, two things. One is that that crisis is less likely to to arise in the first place because they are part of society and they are engaged with friends and in constructive, uplifting, helpful places. Uh, but also, when they have an issue, there's people they can turn to without necessarily having to turn to our, our emergency services. Um, so, for example, the, the number of presentations from the Greek and Italian communities are far lower statistically than many other communities. Why? Because they're cultures that still really celebrate family, keep everyone in, in the loop, uh, keep everyone close and care for each other. That, that is a great articulation of the, 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 the things that we aspire to. People in Victoria, and I know this is a, a general perception, but it seems to be that on these policies we're talking about today, a lot of people do not believe that these things are happening. How do you cut through when you're saying all of these radical ideologies are affecting the next generation, but people don't believe you? I think, Neil, what, what's happening there is you, you've hit on a very good reason for the need for a party like Family First. When I talk to my fellow Victorians about some of the policies that have been put in place in this state, quite often the first response is, is one of a frank disbelief. It's like, oh, no, no, that can't happen. That wouldn't happen. No, that's not the case. Surely that's not the case. Uh, and when I tell them, actually, I'm very sorry, but it's the law of, of Victoria, they're somewhat stunned. And so interestingly, in the state, when it comes to politics, people tend to talk about you know, tax or uh, corruption or IBACs or infrastructure builds, but no one's talking about values. We have to talk about values because they speak to the things which are which are engineering society in a really unpleasant and dangerous way. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Shelby in Brisbane. Hi, Shelby. Been a little while. Welcome along. Yeah, good morning, Neil. Yeah, get a bit busy these days. Hey, uh, mate, I'm naturally in, in, in Queensland, but I'm just curious whether it Lee um, now. I've done stuff with Kerry Spike in the past with abortion, euthanasia, and I'll come back to a question on that in a sec. But um, I'm just wondering whether you're setting up any branches in Queensland. I can't remember. Uh, my memory fades me a little bit, but I think I, there was something that I was doing some time back with Family First in Queensland. 
Um, Shelby, good thought here because, yes, uh, the revived Family First out of South Australia sweeping now into Victoria. And uh, the question there, is there likely the growth of Family First uh, other states around Australia? And uh, Shelby's talking about Queensland. Uh, Lee, your thoughts for Shelby? Uh, the, the simple thought is absolutely uh, it's coming. Uh, now, Lyle Shelton is our national director. He's a good Toowoomba boy. Uh, and he's not going to see his native Queensland go without the, the benefit and presence and the voice of family first. The next election uh, off the ranks uh, here in Australia after Victoria is New South Wales. Now, because of the registration rules there, uh, we won't be running as a family first party, but we will uh, run uh, candidates under an independent group with a family first title. So we will be present in that election uh, and then we'll move on from there. So. Uh, we are basically uh, taking each state in turn in order of, uh, of elections as they arise. But um, Shelby, yep, we'll be there. Shelby, thanks so much for your contribution today. one 316 to join our conversation. Let's take another call. Alex is in Melbourne. Hi, Alex. Yes, hello, uh, Neil. Yeah, um, very important uh, topics uh, there that uh, your guest has. Uh, I think we should really concentrate on the most vulnerable, and that's the children. Uh, they can't look up, and we're supposed to be an example for them. So if we can just concentrate on speaking about that, that's the real main issue. It's it's awful what's, uh, what's happening. Alex, good point there. Let's get a thought or two. Lee, uh, children, uh, the focus, the next generation. Uh, what's your response for Alex? Uh, Alex, I couldn't agree more. There is a generation of children now being taught that they can pick their own gender, irrespective of biological realities. That is triggering a, a massive increase in the number of children who are presenting as gender confused. And we now have policies in, in place here in Victoria which say if a child expresses gender confusion, the only response you are permitted to give under law is to affirm that child's uh, desire to, tran- uh, to, to transition into a different gender. Now, 80 to 90% of kids who ever get any form of gender confusion end up sticking with their birth sex. So a policy, in fact, a law, which punishes you for 10 years in jail for doing anything other than affirming that transition, is by definition, by evidence, and by common sense, an absolute travesty and incredibly dangerous for young people. We end up taking uh, kids through this cycle. The, uh, while people talk about reversing a gender transition, the reality is that once you've cut something off, you can't replace it. You can refreshen a, a plastic surgery thing in its place, but it's not the original, you know. Um, so the, the, these laws make no sense. They're not, based by, uh, not backed by science or evidence. And in fact, what we're seeing in places like the UK is that they're now changing their stance and saying, actually, we're not going to do puberty blockers and, and operations on under-18s anymore uh, because uh, that the, what, what's happened so far is so much harm and damage has been caused to those kids. And some very, very brave young people are coming forward saying, I was transitioned, I was actually mentally ill, or I had different issues, or um, I, I thought I had a problem, but actually it was something else. These stories are coming to light now, and, and they're brave people who've been through an awful journey our government is setting us on on a course which has already been proven not to work elsewhere. So even from a public policy perspective, you, you have to have a particular frame of mind that says we should continue to do this to children when other places have already stopped it because of the harm. So yes, we are absolutely 
passionately and desperately fighting uh, to protect children. Alex in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. A question, a comment, even a critique. Just before we take another call, as you're indicating here, and as we began to talk about People in Victoria don't believe these things are the law. They believe if you go to the doctor, the doctor will be able to tell you the truth. Uh, But the doctor's now coerced into just one-sided understanding of how they treat someone who has an unwanted same-sex attraction or uh, the pursuit uh, with children involved of uh, pursuing a different uh, gender, different sexuality. Uh, People don't believe that uh, that uh, that these things are happening and the next generation is at stake here. Uh, when uh, Alex says children here, children really are the important focus for you. That's correct, yes. And it's not just doctors who aren't permitted to tell the truth. No one is allowed to have a conversation or undertake any activity which is anything other than affirming. Uh, so that's uh, that's that, and that includes parents. If you, if you're a parent, a concerned teacher, if you're a minister of religion, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a doctor, a family friend, if you do anything other than uh, affirming a transition desire, you are committing uh, an offence that's punishable by ten years in prison. Now get this. One of the, now I've, I've read this legislation. It's an act of parliament. You can you can download it and read it yourself. Uh, one of the, the the things that can land you 10 years in jail is praying for someone. Mm. And prayer is explicitly mentioned as a change in suppression activity. So if someone comes to you, even if they ask you for help. So if you're, let's say you're the minister of a church, and someone within, uh, within your church comes to you, um, young or old, and says, um, uh, Pastor, I've been struggling with this. Uh, I, I want to understand how, how this is going to work in my life. Can you pray with me? Even if they've asked for it, and even if they don't report you for it, but somebody else who's an activist sees you doing that, they can report you, uh, and um, uh, and you can end up being in serious trouble. So Christian prayer and pastoral care are criminalised already in the state of Victoria. So as you say... 10 years imprisonment and so when you have a state election like this an opportunity for people to speak uh, it only comes around once every four years Uh, you're saying there is a desperation time right now and uh, you need to shake yourself and be ready to be able to uh, to to vote for uh, a right party now this is interesting because you've got uh, the premier daniel andrews the labor premier and you've got matthew guy opposition leader uh, a radical left on one side and some say a libertarian right on the other side, uh, neither side has the will to actually stand up for the sorts of values that we are talking about today. Uh, what are your thoughts? Because uh, both sides uh, offer not necessarily a great alternative here. Well, that's correct, Neil. Unfortunately, um, uh, Matthew Guy has gone on radio on Joy FM and described the change in suppression bill as, quote, a good bill and it shall stand. He has committed uh, to not altering, rolling back or in any way modifying the Change in Suppression Act, which outlaws 
um, uh, the, the whole talking to your kid about that, that journey in anything other than a firm way. So the Liberals, actually, the policy line is to back law. Okay. So the only way we can actually do anything here is by getting people of good value voted into the upper house um, who can move private members' bills. Because uh, if you're... Um, now here's the challenge. There are, there are some really good Christian candidates, some good conservative Christian candidates standing for the Liberals now. Uh, but they are bound by the party line. But if we are able to trigger uh, using a, a, someone outside of, of the Liberal group uh, a, a bill to roll back the worst excesses of these programs and allow, for example, just, just for us of the, the adoption of a simple wait and see thing, which doesn't stop a child ultimately transitioning. If that ends up being their biological uh, journey, if that's, if that's a genuine medical condition, uh, and there are some people who are born into sex, and there's, I'm not going to do the d- details of percentages and so on, but the people need extraordinarily uh, um, good quality care. Uh, both in terms of mental health and physical health, if they are struggling with these things. And we have great compassion for people in that scenario. But um, we, we want to make sure that uh, that we can try and roll these things back. So so we need someone in the in the uh, upper house, or ideally in the lower house, who, who can actually spark, spark a, a motion or a movement or a bill uh, that will roll these things back some, uh, which will give the, the, the... Because the Liberal Party generally allows a conscience vote will give the good people who, uh, who who can and hopefully will be elected to Parliament the chance to do something about it. But if you rely on, on uh, the Liberals, it's not going to happen. So that's why we desperately need uh, some good quality uh, minor parties such as ourselves to be able to stand up and wave the flag and yell really loud and actually trigger things in Parliament to change. Otherwise, it is not going to change with the existing parties. Earlier we were talking about the DLP and Bernie Finn, one of the candidates for the DLP, and uh, there might be a hope there that people with those foundation Christian and pro-life values uh, will be there on uh, the uh, in the upper house uh, holding the balance of power. And, of course, uh, uh, those candidates uh, who are standing for the upper house in family first. Uh, we're talking to one of those right now. Lee Jones is our guest. Let's take another call, Lee. Warren is in Gippsland in Victoria. Hi, Warren. Welcome. No, I come from Gippsland in Victoria. I'm living in Broken Hill, New okay. South Wales. But, All right. Okay. But, Warren, um, yep. I've only been up here for about, um, I suppose, eight months. But Matthew Guy's all right. He comes from Newborough in Gippsland. I know Bill Guy that's related to the... He's in the Latrobe Shire Cancer in uh, Morwell. But Matthew Guy's in Newborough, and he's, t- he's a top guy. I, I reckon that... We've got to get rid of this uh, Daniel Andrews because I was caught up in the lockdowns and I come from Mall to go down to Weigel to work. I was stuck in flipping Weigel. The police pulled me up in the street and I say, what are you doing down here? Well, I had to work, you know, earn a living, but I found it very hard. But um, I reckon Matthew Guy's top guy. I reckon he'll do well. And I reckon he comes from Christian values. So I, I'm all for Matthew Dyer. I was talking to my brother last night, 
He's spoken today, and I'm pretty sure he... All right, spoke. Warren, so good rap there for Matthew Guy as being a good guy. Uh, your thoughts here, Lee, uh, because... Uh, and let's, let's extend the conversation beyond these values that we're talking right now, and uh, people have got long memories... Uh, lockdowns so severe in Victoria and uh, the police state that eventuated from that, the rubber bullets and all sorts of uh, bans left, right and centre. What are your thoughts uh, for how people still continue to love Dan Andrews? And uh, the polls would say he's headed for being re-elected, but uh, Victorians have suffered very deeply. It's a fascinating thing. It's kind of like a a Stockholm syndrome in some ways, isn't it? uh, I think those people who are predisposed to like that uh, have tended to support his policies. Um, uh, but um, th- those people who generally, uh, and I'm going I'm to draw a, a very broad generalisation here, but um, uh, th- those p- people who craft and create and build and manufacture, grow and drive, the things that, that are positive for our state, um, those people who generate the wealth uh, that, that others uh, uh, can can enjoy the uh, the largesse of. Um, those people have, have seen for real the, the the impact of lockdown on businesses, uh, on uh, their ability to continue to do what they do, uh, and I guess that, that the pain and disruption that's caused the fact that we've lost sixty thousand people uh, to interstate um, uh, speaks volumes there. We. Um, we think there needs to be a reckoning. Uh, if, if you are, uh, as a Premier, uh, conducting incredibly radical lockdown policies that exceed anything we've experienced in wartime, and you're claiming that you're basing on medical uh, advice but refusing to release that advice, that doesn't pass the pub test. It just doesn't. So we would like to see a Royal Commission uh, into the lockdowns, the policy responses and so on, because... A lot of us were saying at the outset when it was very, very unpopular to do so. I remember making a Facebook post about this, saying where's the effect of the cure is going to be worse than the disease. And I think for any independent and objective observer, it's it's patently obvious that that is now the case. Okay. Uh, but it seems to be that people don't want to even talk about it because you know, it, it either it was really painful, we want to forget it, or we were pro-lockdown, maybe we realised it was a mistake, we don't want to dwell on that, we just want to move on. So it's, it's, a, it's a really hard thing, but I think we need to call to account those who put in place policies that, that um, massively increased uh, uh, domestic violence against women, made children vulnerable, caused a huge spike in mental health issues, increased suicides, uh, people fleeing to state, the destruction of wealth. I mean, the consequences are real. The, the increase in, um, uh, in, in deaths, uh, people who are who are now suffering more extreme versions of, of their cancers because they couldn't get treatment. The list goes on and on. So it, it, we do need to bring this to account in a fair and just way. Warren in Broken Hill, who lived in Gippsland up until eight months ago. Warren, thank you so much for your call. And we'll put a line under those calls now because time is running out. Uh, interestingly, um, we can talk about these things till the cows come home uh, and over four years. And now an election time is due. It is an opportunity for voters to vote according to 
their own conscience. Uh, and we would say vote according to your Christian conscience. Some of the things that have been reported and are happening and are in law now in Victoria are directly opposite to where a Christian conscience actually sits. Uh, what's your encouragement uh, for people even uh, being prayerful about how they might cast a vote in the upcoming election here, Lee? There's, there's always hope. Uh, and th- there's always the need to, um, uh, to, to talk about uh, what's going on, to share it. I would encourage people to be uh, prayerfully uh, and appropriately brave, uh, to raise and share with uh, people in our state about what's going on, because it is so hidden. Uh, you've never seen a Dan Andrews advert that claims, hey, look, we passed the Change and Suppression Act, and we can now do this to your kids. I mean, clearly <laughs> they don't, because it's, uh, it's anti-family, and most people, if they knew about it, would reject it. So um, keep praying. We, we feel buoyed and supported on a way of prayer, which is just wonderful. Uh, the, the, the light is coming. Uh, the cracks are beginning to show. Uh, the, the, the hard progressive uh, um, left uh, tends to push too far, and they're pushed into, into the family now. They're pushed into the heart of the family, and it's time for families to push back and say, no. The state has no role in the way that we run our families, the, the discussions we have with our children, the values we impart to our children. It's time for the state to leave and for us to reclaim our families first. All right, Family First. Uh, the revived Family First is very active and candidates in all electorates around Victoria for the upcoming state election. Uh, familyfirstparty.org.au and uh, the encouragement there for listeners is to check the policies uh, simple, easy to read values-based policies of Family First Party so familyfirstparty.org.au I did mention a little earlier, no doubt you'd be looking for some more friends uh, more supporters uh, not too late to become a friend of Family First in Victoria, Lee Absolutely not. No, if they go to that website that you've uh, emphasised for us there, thank you so much, Neil. Um, please sign up to be a volunteer. Uh, the, the greatest help we can get right now is people uh, working on a polling booth, handing out how to vote cards. That has a material uplift on our vote. We obviously want to maximise our vote to maximise our chances of getting into the upper house and making a real difference. So if you ever felt motivated to, do, to make a, a political difference in Jesus' name, it's a great time to join us, to sign up and to help us out. Even if it's just a couple of hours on a booth on one day, every little bit helps, and we're very, very grateful for any support that any of your listeners can extend to us. Every little bit helps uh, volunteering on a booth on election day. No doubt uh, being a volunteer in the lead-up too, given that the pre-poll votes have opened today. Familyfirstparty.org.au And uh, Lee Jones, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us. Uh, An informative conversation today. Lee Jones is the Family First Party candidate for the southeastern metropolitan region in the Legislative Council, the Upper House in Victoria. That uh, website is familyfirstparty.org.au. Lee Jones, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. It's been my absolute pleasure, Neil. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.